pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. It is June 13th, 2020, and you've tuned into the week that was. If you have gotten tired of everything, raise your hand. Are you tired of everything? Raise your hand. Well, there is hope. There is hope. Researchers at Harvard have discovered the snooze button. The snooze button in the brain. This button can induce actual hibernation or suspended animation. You may soon be able to just fall asleep and wake up five years from now to see how it all turned out. I don't want to do that. If you're like me, you want to stay right here. You want to be in the middle of this mess because you know At least I believe that this is an opportunity for great change in our country. Change is a funny word. You know, change is a word. People like to use word change. It makes them feel better. We want to make change. But we do have an opportunity to really begin to come together. And I want to be in the fray. I want to scream the message that we are all, once again, folks, on the precipice of change, but we are once again being distracted. That's the key word for today. We are being distracted. We are being led down the wrong path and treating symptoms without working on the cure. We like to do that. It's easier to do. It's, I, I said this last week. It's harder to really get out of your comfort zone, change your heart, get to know people who don't look like you or act like you or believe like you, but it's easier to go after the low-hanging fruit. You know, you climb out on those skinny branches, that's where the good fruit is, but you might fall. You wait till they fall on the ground, that's the easy fruit. By then it's rotten. We have the opportunity to make a change. As I have said, I've said this before, I think we're losing the opportunity for unity. We are letting it slip out of our grasp. As I said after the George Floyd murder, there was a national unified horror and outrage. Even those who never got involved, even those who were on the fence all the time, I believe, 
we're ready to jump into this. We're ready to make a change. We're ready to come together. Now we are a few weeks removed. George Floyd has been laid to rest. And the protests continue to take a different turn. And one that is dividing us maybe more than before. It is so unreal that it seems almost planned. Are these the same people who want only to destroy and not heal, to harden hearts instead of melting hearts? Where are the joint leaders? Where are the black leaders? Where are the white, Hispanic, Asian, Muslim, etc.? Why are we not unified in saying to everybody who's the people who are occupying six blocks of, of uh, Seattle, the people who continue to want to destroy, to demand symptoms, healing of symptoms, why don't we unify and say enough is enough? You do not get to distract us from healing this racial divide that has separated us for a hundred year, hundreds of years. Our discussion needs to be about this stupid division that has gone on far too long over the mere color of a person's skin. Think about that. Within that, we need to discuss all the other things, equal justice, police reform, prison reform especially, equal opportunity, and so much more. But these have to take place all within the context of healing our hearts, changing things to make it better for people. The, the cure. Now we are talking, we're, we're, we're spending our time now for the last week, it's all I've heard, statues, monuments, movies, names, and no race. We're talking symptoms, distractions. Do you get that? Everything should be trying to find the cure. We find the cure, all the symptoms disappear. We are treating the symptoms and not the disease, which is what we always do. We always get distracted. If we're ever going to get down to what is really important, we need African-American leaders and African-American people to join with us who are not African-American, who are white, again, to say, stop. We will no longer allow you to hijack a very real cause, a very real problem. We will not allow you to continue to distract and divide us with peripheral issues, with symptoms. Those who occupy the six blocks of Seattle, those who looted and rioted in every city, are not about George Floyd. And if we look past our surface emotions, 
I know that we all know that deep down. The millions of legitimate, angry, and sad people who took to the streets know that. They had real reasons to be there. But their message was and has been covered by those few whose intent is only to destroy, cause chaos, both in black and white communities. It will not stop until all of us jointly say, stop. We have real work to do here. Last Sunday, I was invited to attend a Zoom worship service at the Rock Christian Fellowship in California. I was invited to attend that via Zoom. Speaking at that service last Sunday was a young man, young African-American man that I have come to admire and stand in awe of for his depth, his spiritual maturity, wisdom. He is the son of one of my teammates from Iowa State and a man who I had on my show a couple months ago. Uh, If you remember, we discussed his book that, by the way, I believe this book should be required reading in every school and by every person. It is an un, it is maybe the one of the best well-written books I have ever read. If you recall, the title of that book was Empowering Dreamers to Become Achievers, Living Your Life Without Fear and Limitations. The, the message Ramsey J. Jr. Uh, gave at this service that I was asked to partake in was truly one of the most inspiring messages on race and racial equality that I have ever heard, no doubt. His words were biblically based and inspired by God's word and have deep meaning for all of us today. So, at 9 o'clock, we're going to go to church. We're going to go to church. And we're going to hear the message, Ramsey J. Jr., as it was given to the Rock Christian Fellowship last Sunday. If you have listened to anything on this show, black, white, whatever race, whatever religion, whatever, you need to listen to this message by this young man. Please listen and hear his words. As I stated earlier, We now have one mission as a people, and that is to begin to change hearts and to find the cure to this disease that causes our brains and hearts to short circuit and see people who are different on the outside as threats to be hated. That must be our sole purpose because that is the disease. Once we find a cure, all the symptoms will disappear. But we are once again chasing after distractions, symptoms, dead ends. We're going to look today, we're going to spend a little bit of time today looking at all the distractions and what they mean and what they are. There's also another disease all around us, and it's COVID, and uh, the slow reopening that is causing us all to act a little irrational. Amid this are traditional festivals, concerts, all the things that happen this summer. 
And the president is taking heat for beginning his rallies from the same media who, by the way, encourage millions to take to the streets to protest. So I kind of have a lighthearted solution to this whole dilemma of who can be out and who can't be out, how to solve this whole problem. We'll get into all this as the week that was continues right after this. Now back to the week that was with Joe Palmisano. I like that. Very good. I like that. You know, before you walk or before you judge a man, walk a mile in his shoes. After that, who cares? He's a mile away and you have his shoes. It's a stupid joke, but I like it. Um, We are joined today. I am joined. I am fortunate to be joined by Noah Hiles. Um, John Bazika is on vacation this week, and Noah has been working, as you all know, uh, tirelessly. Good thing he's a young man. but because he's covered everything that has gone on in Canton, this area, Star County, with the protests, with everything. And uh, there's a tremendous amount of views and people tuning in, going online. It was something like a million people looked at it? Yeah, um, in the first week. Try that. Noah's going to figure it out. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I think you got it now. How about now? There we go. All right. So, yeah, in the first week. He doesn't know how to do the board, but he's a great (laughs) reporter. Yeah, no, I'm figuring it out. Um, Yeah, in the first week of our coverage uh, of the protests, to give you a point of view of how long this has gone on, we're on week three of these protests now. But in week one, we had over 1.1 million views in seven days, just on Facebook. Wow. So... That's not including, you know, stuff that was viewed at our website or on our Twitter or Instagram or other social media platforms. That's just on Facebook, and that's just video views on Facebook, over 1.1 million that is in seven days. Yeah, and, and you were out there in the evenings. You were out there at 11.30 at night. You were out there in the mornings. You were out there all the time. It was like there were three of you going around to all these places and doing that, knowing you did a terrific job. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I try. Um, you know, I... I I feel like when you're covering something like that, less is more from the reporter. And I tried to, you know, let them tell the story as opposed to me narrate it. And I gave some narration every now and then because sometimes those broadcasts would be live for 10, 15 minutes and people would be popping in and out. But for the most part, I mean, it was pretty easy. You just stand there with a camera, get close enough to make sure people can hear what they're saying. Yeah, it's more than easy, though, No, I mean, I think it, it you know, I, and you're being humble, and thank you, but, <laughs> but someone has to be there, and someone has to be able to tell the story, and someone has to be passionate about telling the story, and I think that's why there's so many views on that. But I, I appreciate, I know everybody here at the station does, and, and everybody out in the community should, because, you know, there was a point, I, I remember a point that you were the only one on the street doing the reporting at, at 10, 11 o'clock at night walking mm-hmm. down the streets. Um, so thank you so much for all that. It's a pleasure. Thank you for being here today, too. Just doing my job for both instances. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. You know, you you and I were talking about, you you heard me mention Iowa State and Ramsey mm-hmm. J. Jr. Um, 
unbelievable. And and I have coaches that uh, that coached at Iowa State. That whole group went to Ohio State afterwards with Earl Bruce. He was my head coach after Johnny Majors was there. And I graduated in 76, so what is that? 40, you give me, do the math. I can't. Well, I'm 25. I was born in 95, so you would have graduated 21 years before I was alive, so 46 okay. years. All right. So that time has been since we've been separated as a team. Mm-hmm. We have a, a, a teammate who had COVID, uh, Tom Bosky. He was in intensive care. He was on a, resp- a ventilator for probably a month and a half. We have put together a Zoom conference with him, a reunion with him. Okay. We are all still very, very close. So the, Tuesday night, we had 7 o'clock in the evening. Eastern time, we had a Zoom reunion with him, and everybody came on. I mean, there were people dropping in and out, but everybody talking, telling stories, laughing. I never laughed so hard. And we, and Tom was in his hospital bed, and he was laughing and telling stories, and it was the best therapy he could possibly have. Mm-hmm. Matt Campbell came on. Now he's the head coach at Iowa State. Mm-hmm. He's a young man that. Grew up here in, in Perry and grew up in Stark County. Um, he took the time, and the freshmen were reporting on campus that night. He was going to go address them. But he took time to just get on the Zoom conference with us and just be real and just be uh, hanging out with us. It wasn't like he came on to officially address, and he was, I mean, he was just talking, laughing being with us. Um, and I thought that was, uh, I know you said you're a fan of Iowa State because of Matt Campbell. I wanted you to know what Matt Campbell does behind the scenes. He's a real person. Yeah, and the, I mean, you hear story. I went to Mount Union, so you hear stories about him, and I read stuff about him, and so I, I, I'm a big fan of everything he does. He seems like an awesome person, and a Probably in the next wave of great college football coaches. Let's hope so, yeah. because if it happens, it's going to happen at Iowa State, and, and we we definitely want that to happen. Noah Hiles, thank you so much for being with me. We're going to take a break, go to news, and then when we come back, we're going to – I don't know what we're going to talk about when we come back. We'll find out. But at 9 o'clock, Ramsey J. Jr. with a message you do not want to miss. Stay tuned. <laughs> Now back to The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. It is The Week That Was. Thanks to Jim Michaels with the news, Noah Hiles, who was here running the board and being much more than that today. I, um, Noah, I, I got a, I received an email this morning uh, from the, the Chaz Tourist Industry. Visit Chaz. I was kind of shocked that that I got that. It kind of showed, uh, made it look like it was pretty neat place to visit. You're just looking. <laughs> I I wouldn't go there if I were you. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I I want to ask something. I I here's the thing. We talk about distractions, folks. And and I have to. You have to ask. 
everything in the context of what does this help cure our racial divide? Does this do anything to take a step forward from the murder of George Floyd? Does occupying six blocks of Seattle, putting up barriers, walking around with AR-15s and rifles and pistols and uh, making people show IDs that they work in the place to get through the gate, um, taking uh, extortion money from store owners in order to open up the store, asking for free stuff if they want to open up the store. Um, Does that do anything to help find the cure to what we're looking for? Because ultimately, even police brutality, even anything, has to do with not respecting another person. Finding a cure is more important. The symptoms will go away. This is distraction. Would you agree with that, Noah, as a young man? Yeah, and I don't know if you saw this about the Chaz territory that you're referring to. Um, A couple of the people inside there are, you know, they wanted to be all independent, and within two days of establishing that, that perimeter, they are now on social media asking for people to bring them food <laughs> and, and, and weapons to defend themselves. And it's, it's funny because a lot of the people who are part of, you know, Antifa is a big pre- has a big presence inside Chaz. Um, a lot of those people in those groups are vegan or vegetarian. And so they're, they're like begging people that keep bring, please, please bring us soy milk and, and, and vegan food and everything. And it's just like, this is such a weird scenario. This all the way through, they didn't really think it through. So well, of course they didn't yeah. think it through. And like, uh, I saw like something on social media just two days into it. There was already people, you know, taking advantage of there being no law enforcement there. And they're like, man, we need someone here to like enforce the law and make sure that no one does. It's like there, there are people that do that for a living. And the sad yeah. thing is the C- the Seattle mayor uh, and they interviewed the governor like two days after it was happening. And he said, I didn't even know about this. You know, I'm just blown away. And they're just letting it happen. I mean, to me, there is a difference. And and we have to say someone has to stand up and be the adult in the room and say this isn't helping anything. We're distracted. We are so distracted with Seattle and, and gone with the wind and military bases that no one's talking racial healing. No one. Don't we get, we, and here's the other thing that I find funny. These are the same people that want open borders, and yet you have to show an ID to get in there. Well, that's the thing. Someone posted their, uh, they they actually like looked up some of the protesters inside there and they have multiple tweets about how anti-wall they are and then there's a video of them pulling a fence to make a to make a wall they have a wall they yeah. have a sign there yeah 
and 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 they're not letting people in. There's, there's armed guards at the gates, and they're saying, if you live here, you could come in. If you work here, you could come in, but you have to prove that you live here. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, really? Yeah, a lot of a lot of the protesters inside there are very anti-capitalism, anti-society, is what their Twitter bios say. Yet at the bottom of their twi- under their whole rant about what they're against. They have their Venmo or their cash tag where people can send them money uh, to fund their anti-society, anti-capitalism, anti-establishment. So it's kind of counterproductive, in my opinion. Yeah. But I, I mean, but we've got these things going on all over the place. We've got we've got people. I mean, somebody on CNN and, and I'm talking distractions again, folks. And you could think whatever you want about this. But if you really think deeply, you know, it's a distraction. People are actually saying, somebody from CNN came on and said, we should tear down the Jefferson Memorial and the Washington Monument because they were slave owners. Okay, that, you know, let's, Gone with the Wind has been taken off HBO. Um, Cops have been taken off shows. Uh, Nancy Pelosi is calling for 11 statues in Washington to be torn down. Um, what else? I mean, there's all kinds of things going on. Uh, the, the, and these things are going to continue. And all they are, you know, even with Nancy Pelosi come and kneeling for, for nine minutes. And then, uh, and then here's the other part. We have to stop using words that don't make sense. She immediately called, after she knelt, she called George Floyd a martyr. Now, George Floyd was murdered. George Floyd was, I mean, we all know he was murdered. He was murdered by police. But... He's not a martyr. A martyr, people need to understand the definition of a martyr. A martyr is someone who gives their life willingly for a cause. That is a martyr. A martyr is someone, Martin Luther King was a martyr. He knew that he was putting himself out there. He had a premonition that he was going to die for his religious beliefs, for his social beliefs, for his convictions. He knew he was going to die. When you start throwing around words that don't mean what they're supposed to mean, all you do is inflame. George Floyd was murdered, but George Floyd did not want to die. He didn't put himself out there that day to be killed. A martyr is someone who dies willingly, sheds his or her life for religious convictions, religious beliefs, for a cause. So Nancy stopped, and then she couldn't get up. It's a little bit too long. She blamed it on high heels, but that's neither here. That's peripheral. That's just a snipe. But 
we have to stop doing this. These are all distractions, all distractions. Let's sit and talk. So I find that the, those are all the, gone with the wind? Come on. Does anybody really care about going with the wind? Does anybody even watch it when it's on? We'll be right back. Now back to the week that was with Joe Palmisano. We are back. Uh, Noah, you had... uh, now I, I'm going to read this. This is a this is the definition of a martyr, by the way. A person who voluntarily suffers death as a penalty of witnessing to and refusing to renounce a religion. A person who sacrifices something of great value, especially life itself, for the sake of uh, the cause of freedom. Now, when someone's arrested and killed, it's a horrible thing. This was a, a despicable act but to but to call that martyrdom is wrong and and this whole thing about destroying everything is um, in order to make a point is is merely a distraction you found something Noah yeah so I and I don't have the exact location or name of the person's who's of name of the person who the statue is, but I saw a story of protesters. I believe it was in the city of Philadelphia. I could be wrong. Um, we're taking down a statue of someone um, because that's the thing now. You know, they're taking down statues, and and I understand some statues probably shouldn't be in public places in my opinion i think that some statues of you know confederate leaders they should be in history museums i think that they're important part of american history but maybe not everyone wants to see and be reminded of that in public places that's just my opinion anyway so but now everyone thinks that every statue needs to be tore down and a group of protesters i i believe it was in the city of philadelphia were tearing down a statue of one person who ironically enough um was famous for trying to free slaves about 30 years before the Civil War even happened. So he was anti-slavery, to put it simply, before it was cool to be anti-slavery. And, you know, people... And and, and that's going to happen. You're going to have the dumb 10% in any crowd. You know, regardless, it could be a workforce, a team. It could be a group of protesters. People just want to tear down. And it's the dumb 10% of that crowd. I think, you know... Well, anybody who's tearing down something... Yeah. You know, when they cut off the head of Christopher Columbus and then they tore his statue down. And then I saw a video of a guy actually getting hit in the head by the statue as they dragged it down. I don't know if he survived or what. But this is, this reminds me of so many things. Uh, And and I'm going to get into those later on. But you read, you found something, 1984. Yeah. Which is... You know, the more we the more we go as a society, the more all those things start becoming a reality. And you found something from 1984 that I thought was very interesting. Yeah, this is from Orwell's book, 1984. Um, this is a quote. It says, every record has been destroyed. 
Every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. It's really true. It's And it's interesting, yeah. It's, you know, you can, and I'm going to say, you know, everybody, all of us, every individual, me, we have a past. We have good things that we've done in our lives. We have bad things we have done in our lives. They are all part of the fabric of who we are and where we are today. Our country is the same way. There are good things we have done. There are horrible mistakes we have made. But they all have brought us to this point we are today. You can't go back and erase those things. You can't go back and eliminate every vestige of our past and expect us and expect the future generations to understand who the people were. For instance, without the Civil War, without all the things that have happened in our past, it diminishes what Martin Luther King did. Because young people won't know, what was, what was Martin Luther King doing? Why was he protesting? You don't know... There was no there was no civil war because that's been erased. There's been no slavery because that's been erased. And the importance of what Martin Luther King did and all the people in the 50s and 60s who fought against all this and the people who even fight today. Without the past there's no context for what they're doing. We can't eliminate our past. And that becomes handling the symptoms. It's easy to tear down a statue. It's not easy to get to know another person that doesn't look like you. What are your thoughts on those statues being moved to museums? I, I You know, I don't care because I don't even, I mean, a statue is a statue. Yeah. If you're so sensitive that every single thing you see offends you, I don't even look at, I mean, I see statues in parks. I don't, I don't look at them. I don't know. You know, that's fine. It's, it's part of our, part of our history. A movie, you know, if I watch Gone with the Wind, if I'm offended by a movie that was made Back when, you know, about a time when there was slavery, I I don't get that. What are we What are we trying to accomplish? So moving statues, to me, is a waste of money, a waste of time. Then what's next? Like you said, somebody wants to tear down the Washington Monument, the Jefferson Memorial. Then what's next? Then, then it's 1984, Noah, what you're talking about. We paint over everything. We erase history. We can't do that. We have to live with who we are, warts and all, and move forward. 
And see, when you talk about moving statues, you're talking about wasting time picking the statues out that you need to move, moving them, and once again, time passes without us really getting to the source of the problem. And that is your heart, my heart, my willingness to get to know people, my willingness to be different. Does that make sense? Somebody's calling. I don't know who, I don't know if I should take this, but I'm I'm gonna take it raw. You're on the air. Yeah, is this Joe? This is Joe. Joe. Hey uh it's Tom from Canton. I I, I don't know if anybody realizes it, but back in nineteen forty eight when Pelosi's dad was mayor of Baltimore, he dedicated two statues. And they were Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee. <laughs> now you you won't hear anyone call out Pelosi on that one. Yeah, and, and and rightly, she probably shouldn't be called out because it was her father. She didn't have anything to do with it. But but, but she's calling for she's calling for the destruction of the of the statues. Well, we know when, what we know what that's all about, Tom. I mean, yeah, she she is a a, a brilliant and and politicians. I'm not going to paint them with a bar, broad brush because I don't want to. I, I say we shouldn't do that, but. She is the master of distraction. Just the, the whole thing about how many people really think, this is the same lady that during COVID was showing us her expensive ice cream in her home and how she eats the ice cream and all that stuff. How many people really think that Nancy Pelosi really cares and really hurts for this whole thing? So... Uh, it's just a hypocrisy that's constantly, you know, they're, they're quick to, to jump on Trump for stuff. And, you know, even Biden, back in, in 2010, him and Hillary eulogized Senator Byrd, who was a grand wizard of the KKK that's, at his funeral. That's no, true. You don't, you don't hear nothing about that. Yeah, I but, know. But, 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 but Joe's Mr. Come on, man. You know, I mean, come on. Does anybody ever call these people out? No. And I'll let you go, Joe, because I know you're coming top down. You take care, brother. All right. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Now, I, I will say this. I don't want to get into, you know, uh, because, it, 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 because, again, that's a distraction. I don't want to get into Democrats, Republicans, this, that. They're all guilty of it. They're all guilty of keeping us jumping from one hoop to another, chasing distractions, instead of focusing on what we need to focus on. And that's, that's I, I can't go down that road. When we come back, I'm going to have a very special message for you. It is Ramsey J. Jr., the author of a book that, that I have had him on talk about should be required reading in all schools, I believe, uh, with a message of unity a biblical message. We're going to church at 9 o'clock when we come back after the news. Stay tuned. Ramsey J. Jr. coming up next. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, my name is Ramsey J. Jr. 
Uh, I'd like to give myself a different introduction this morning because it's such a special time. Uh, I am the first and then therefore the only, those of you who are following me, I'm already telling my jokes. I am the first, which then also makes me the only uh, child of my mother, uh, Florence uh, J and Ramsey J Sr. You probably could figure out the senior if I'm junior, stay with me. And because of that, uh, I'm happy to report that the Bible says in the sixth uh, verse of the 22nd chapter, Pastor Sanders, that if you train up a child in the way that they should go when they grow and they mature, they will not depart from that. And I'm fortunate to say that I was given an opportunity as a very young man to be trained up the right way. And certainly there were detours along the way, but that training has held true. Now that I'm more mature, I am very much, I think, upon the foundation upon which my family had erected for me as a young man. And I dare say that everybody here who has children, you raise them in such a way that you hope the lessons you instill in them as young people are the lessons that they ultimately use to govern their lives as they go forward. And I certainly am thankful for that opportunity. And I, uh, with that, it's with you. I do want to say on a serious note, make sure that we deflect the honor and glory to he that gives me the ability to speak for thee this morning. Let me say it again slower for someone else. If I say anything that may resonate for you today, make sure that we rightfully deflect the glory to he that empowers me to be able to speak and communicate for thee on this most important Sunday. Uh, I want to also suggest that today in this era of communication, uh, perhaps now more than ever, the ability to communicate and commune is more necessary than ever. And I want to suggest this with all due deference to leaders of scale and influence in this country, in this world, this is certainly a time for we, the people, that is you and I, to be able to communicate and commune more than ever. Uh, suggesting that I think we have had a supernatural timeout orchestrated on this planet Earth. Uh, remembering that the Earth is uh, inhabited by roughly 8 billion people and its axis revolves 24 hours one time around, those 8 billion people full of activity. But you, as I know, also recognize that most recently, all of that activity came to a stop and a standstill due to the coronavirus. That to me is a supernatural pause on traditional activity of the 8 billion people around this world where at one time they were all encouraged and almost forced perhaps to take a pause and a timeout. Irrespective of color line, race, gender, you were asked to pause and take a timeout. I consider that to be a supernatural timeout, and it was one that was devoid of any jurisdiction or boundary. It cut across all walks of life, all mankind. You were asked and forced to pause. That suggests one of my first points when we talk about communication in dialect and tongue, recognize that there are roughly 6,500 dialects and tongues, languages spoken by those 8 billion inhabitants of Earth. Again, for someone who needs to appreciate this, roughly 6,500 dialects, languages that are spoken on the earth by the 8 billion inhabitants of this place called earth. Some with just a handful that use the language, others with millions that use the language. Yet there is a common language that all man or woman can understand. It is the language that is not spoken. It is the language that is felt. Let me pause and let that resonate. It is the language that is not spoken. It is the language that is felt, a universal language that is expressed without dialect or tongue, irrespective of which of those 6,500 that you may say is the one that you master. What am I saying? One of those languages often forgotten is the one that you cannot hear. For our friends that are deaf or hard of hearing impaired, we call that language sign language. It is a language that you cannot hear, but it is one that you can certainly feel the communication of the person, even though you may not be able to hear them should you be deaf or hearing impaired. 
And because we are erected in a conversation today that almost requires us to have a communication where I can't hear you, but you can hear me, I can feel you, and you might be able to feel me. What am I saying? This next conversation I'm having with you today is not a entertainment. This is a spectator sport. No, this is a participating sport, meaning I'm encouraging you to participate in the conversation. This is not a monologue with all due respect. It is a conversation, a communication, and perhaps one that's more timely than one has ever needed to be had today. What am I saying? In sign language, when you want to applause and show appreciation for what is happening, they call them jazz fingers, friends. They call them jazz fingers, the jazz fingers. That is a sign of applause in sign language. So for the next handful of minutes that I have with you, I'm going to encourage you because I can feel you if you use your silent applause of jazz fingers. That means if you keep looking at me, I'm encouraging you to practice your jazz fingers right now. Some of you are a little bit slow. Let's try again. I am encouraging you because I can't feel you if you don't come back to me. So I'm asking you to utilize your jazz fingers this morning when you hear something that resonates with you or someone you need to share it with, you can just let me know that, Ramsey, you're right on it. Jazz fingers is how I know that you are feeling me and I am feeling you. Do we have an agreement to use jazz fingers as applause this morning? And the crowd is saying yes and amen. So thank you for that. So that's what I'm looking for you to do with me because I can feel you. That is the language that is universal and perhaps now more than ever, it is what we don't say, but how we express how we feel that we have to be more sensitive to than ever. And I'll explain why. Now, I, I do want to suggest today that it is a very unique time. And I want to be clear with you. The date today is so powerful, and it is important that we understand it. And I suggest the numbers 7620 and 3, again, for somebody 7620 and 3, arbitrary numbers that have no semblance of substance unless they are properly defined and dissected for you. But it is important to recognize 7620 and 3 are the numbers that constitute a very unique moment in time, a moment that matters, one that will never come again. Seventh represents the seventh day, and the sixth represents the sixth month. The 20 represents the 20th year, and the three represents the third millennium. What am I saying? When I say 7620 and 3, I'm suggesting that today is the seventh day in the sixth month of the 20th year of the third millennium, or it is a moment in matters, one in point in time that will never, ever come again, and one that we have to respect as such. Perhaps one of the most unique set of circumstances has brought us all together. The confluence of factors that I talked about before with the earth spinning around on its axis in 24 hours and 8 billion people being forced to pause. Layered upon that, the recent untragic death murder of George Floyd and the then protest and outcry against police brutality suggest that these numbers can't just be another day and another number and another time. It's one that has to matter, one that says irrespective of where you sit in this spectrum of life, the idea that you spectate and not participate is no longer an option because of the factors that I've just suggested to you. This is a full participatory moment, and we can decide where you participate, but you cannot, I believe, suggest that you are going to be one that simply does spectate. My title today, as I put into the chat with three points, is Amplifying This Supernatural Moment of Unity. Amplifying This Supernatural Moment of Unity. 
Supernatural means orchestrated by something bigger than us. How can you make this whole world stop naturally? Very difficult to do, but it has happened. And We're going to continue with Ramsey J. Jr. It was a good time to pause. When we come back, we're going to get into the message of what Ramsey J. Jr. is talking about. We have to take a break. Now back to The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. We are continuing now with the message delivered last Sunday by Ramsey J. Jr. at the Rock Christian Fellowship in California. My title today, as I put into the chat with three points, is Amplifying This Supernatural Moment of Unity. Amplifying This Supernatural Moment of Unity. Supernatural means orchestrated by something bigger than us. How can you make this whole world stop naturally? Very difficult to do, but it has happened. And unity has been a byproduct of that. Recently, we see it all around the time. I don't live too far from the airport, close to Marina Del Rey. I was taking a right down a major boulevard and the car had to stop because 1,000 protesters were walking towards the vehicle. 95% of them, I have a math degree, a finance degree, an MBA. Dean and I worked on Wall Street together. I can add and subtract. I'll tell you right now, 95% of the protesters did not look like me, and they were looking at me, yelling at me, Black Lives Matter, and I was feeling uncomfortable because I was in the car. They were marching. Talk about unique set of circumstances. I saw it with my own eyes 24 hours ago. This is a unique set of circumstances, ladies and gentlemen. They were looking at me like, why aren't you out here with me? Unique set of circumstances. Amplifying the supernatural moment of unity. What am I talking about? Genesis chapter 1, the 27th verse. I won't preach at you long, but I want you to appreciate that the Bible actually makes it very clear. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, suggesting that very definition of the first man created was never given race or gender. It says specifically, Adam and Eve were not based on race or ethnic identity. They said that they were made in humankind image of God. Believing that God is inclusive of all people, it would be unwise and unreal for God to suggest he would categorize the first people he made to represent his image, which is one that is inclusive of all people. The origin, point number one, is that the original human creation was race and ethnic agnostic. There was no delineation by the definition when we created man and woman in the Bible. You can read it yourself. So what does that mean? It means that the majority of the human composition inside of me, my blood, my heart, my ribs, my brain, my lungs, the things that I do to make me function, 99% of my internal human composition is identical to yours. The external factors that we suggest are the differences are the byproduct of superficial differences and our diverse personal intrinsic experience in life that suggests how different we are. But the human composition suggests that we are all extraordinarily similar. Let me give you a story to paint the picture. A true story, by the way. A mother, a father, and a five-year-old child, white they are, sit in a doctor's office. They are waiting to see the doctor and proceed with a transplant opportunity. The father is very ill, needing a kidney transplant. 
Seated on the same couch at the opposite end is an African-American man, middle-aged, wearing a sweatsuit and baggy pants, and his hat is on backwards, and he appears to be nervous as he is sitting in the same lobby as the white family, the mother, the father, and the five-year-old. The father is in need of a kidney transplant in order to survive. The five-year-old, the daughter of the white family, is finding the black man to be extremely attractive and wants to play with him, very much interested in this man, wants to play, very engaged. And the mother and father are shielding the child as if they do not want the child to participate in playful activity with the man. The man now, the black man, is becoming more and more nervous because he's not trying to make the family feel uncomfortable. The five-year-old finds him to be extremely attractive and wants to play with them, but mother and father are shielding him away. Just as the two parties are becoming become more and more tense about each other, the doctor summons the white family back into his office to begin the consultation. Shortly thereafter, the same nurse comes out and says, can we please have the African-American join the white family in the room for the consultation? Now the feverish prince of tense is really at its highest order and the white family is very nervous and the white child is almost ready to go and hug the black man. True story. And the doctor says, oh, by the way, family, I was wondering, did you have a chance in the lobby to meet your kidney donor? The white family says, no, we didn't. The doctor said, he's in the office with us right now. The child recognized the humanity of the man and that man's kidney was put into her father. And the father now lives with the mother and the child and the black man are now a communal family. What am I saying? The human composition suggests the internal things that actually allow me to function are the same things that you need to function. Do not be subdued into believing that the external things that make us different on the surface are the things that should separate us and unite us when it is what I have is what you need to have. And the example that we set is the one that will make the innocent or our young people grow up with the ability to see our commonality versus our differences by the example that we lead. This example tells us that, point one, the original human was created to be race and ethnic agnostic. And the majority of the human composition that allows you to function in life is identical. And the transference of that is what allows us all to live more united than separated. And perhaps now, more than ever, a point we should all be cognizant of. We will be back with more of Ramsey J. Jr. right after this. Now back to the week that was with Joe Palmisano. I hope you have been listening to Ramsey J. Jr. And let me recap now what his message that was given to Rock Christian Fellowship in California last Sunday. I was able to, uh, I was honored to be able to partake in that worship service. Um, Ramsey J. is an unbelievable young man and he he wrote the book that empowering dreamers to become achievers living your life without fear and limitations it is a book that 
should be mandatory reading in all schools. Uh, he started this, this talk out by talking about who we are and the fact that 99% of us are identical. He told the story of, of a, uh, you heard that. I, I don't want to get into that now, but the, the point was he left off, we left off with him talking and demonstrating biblically that we are all the same except for the exterior. Now we move on with the conclusion of Ramsey J. Jr.'s talk last Sunday. Especially as our innocent or our young people watch our examples. Point one, be thoughtful about that. So what does that mean? I always say that's a great story, great Bible reference, but practical applications on this seventh day of the sixth month of June. Here is my invitation for you. I wonder if everybody here was so willing to do what they normally do in their normal week and make a concerned effort to do it in a different way just one particular time. If you typically buy groceries in a certain neighborhood, what if you buy groceries in another neighborhood where people don't look like you, but guess what? They eat the same food as you do. What if you traditionally bank on this part of town? Why don't you go bank on the other part of town where people look different than you, but guess what? They bank just like you. You traditionally go to the movie theater where a lot of people go to the movie theater look like you. What about going to the movie theater on the other part of town? Because guess what? They watch movies just like you. And in the course of conversation, you recognize the external things that make you different are actually the things that are not that different at all. The human condition suggests the opportunity for us to make it a point to invest our equitable time in others as a part of the principal practice of living as God intended us to do, irrespective of our external differences, symbiotic with our human condition being one in the same. Invitation for you to consider. Point number two, we were designed to be interdependent, not dependent. We were designed to be interdependent, not dependent. In the interest of time, I'm talking about Acts, the eighth chapter, verses 26 and 40. For those that may not know, let me quickly educate you. Philip was an evangelist, and he ran into an Ethiopian there. The Ethiopian was known as an Enoch, known as an important official who was in charge of all of the treasury. Philip, we understand, an evangelist looked very much Caucasian and white, maybe darker skin, but very much white. The Ethiopian, the Enoch, we appreciate, looked like I do. As they were walking or going down in the chariot, it says here that the man, the Enoch, had found a Bible. And he started to open it up, and he read it, and he read Isaiah, but he couldn't understand it. The Enoch then asked Philip, the evangelist, can you explain this to me? And Philip, the evangelist, asked him, can you not explain it to yourself? I'm paraphrasing, but read the text on your own. Philip says, how come you can't read it? The Ethiopian replied back to him, I don't know how to read this. Philip then explained to him the passage that he was reading suggested to him that the way he could have eternal life was by learning about Jesus Christ. The Enoch then asked Philip, because Philip educated him, if he would take him down to the water and baptize him. Philip obliged the Enoch, and Philip baptized the Enoch, and then he went on about his business, leaving the Enoch on his own, or the Ethiopian. 
The Bible tells you that this Enoch or this Ethiopian was the primary catalyst to the word of the gospel moving beyond just the Jews in the Bible time. The Enoch, the Ethiopian, was the one that actually allowed the word to spread beyond the traditional evangelists like Philip. It was a man who looked like me willing to ask a man who did not look like me who knew something about something I didn't know but wanted to know. It was the man that didn't look like me willing to spend time with me to allow me to learn something that transformed my life. What am I saying? Everybody on this Zoom call is either a Philip or an Enoch. You know a Philip or you know an Enoch. You've had a Philip in your life and you probably were a byproduct because at one point that Philip was treating you like Philip treated this Enoch in your life. My own story will tell you, many of the names of the people that I've invited to this Zoom call were Philips at different points in my life. If they did not stop and say to me, do you understand that? I would never have learned that. If they would have never said, I have time to teach you, I would have never been taught. If they said, I don't have time to help someone that looks like you, I would have never been able to help others who don't look like me. What am I saying? There's not a person on this Zoom call that isn't a Philip or has been an Enoch. And at this time and place, please hear my heart. The world now more than ever needs whichever one of those two roles you may call your primary role right now, play your role. Play your role. If you are a Philip, be intentional about finding an Enoch and invest in them. If you are an Enoch, don't be afraid to ask a Philip to show you how. But what you can't do is be one of the two and not play your role. True story. If you didn't see it, let me paraphrase it for you. CNN, true story, just the other day in Buffalo, Antonio Gwynn Jr., if you didn't know, saw the damage from the riots in his town of Buffalo. He would be an Enoch in my example. 18 years old, African-American high school senior, went down at 2 a.m. with a broom and started cleaning up the debris from the riot. Didn't know whose building he was cleaning, didn't have anybody tell him to do it, took his broom down there, and for 10 hours, it said, he went and cleaned it up. It says by the time others started to organize and go, the young man had cleaned up most of all of the rioting and the debris from that particular area on Bailey Avenue. It says Matt Block, a white older gentleman of good stature or a Philip, heard about the story and said that, you know what, I want to reward this young man. And he gave him his 2004 red Mustang convertible. He said he saw Gwen asking for car advice on Facebook. Asking for advice. Sounds like the Enoch. How do I read this? Asking for advice on Facebook. Matt Block, the Philip, saw it said, not only am I going to answer it, I'm going to give you the car. The story goes on to say the exact car that Matt Block gave Tony Gwynn was the exact car that Tony Gwynn's mother drove before she passed away in 2018. This is a true story. 
The car that he received is the car his mother used to drive him around with when he was a young boy prior to her passing in 2018. The story goes on to say that Bob Bryslin heard about that and extended him insurance for the car. And then it goes on to say he was planning to go to trade school because he couldn't afford to go to college. But a college in Buffalo heard about his story and now has offered him a full scholarship where he now plans to major in business and start his own entrepreneurial cleaning business to clean up his community. This is a true story to CNN. This is a real story. What am I saying? Can you imagine the power of every one of us who has Philip attributes? However you choose to express it. Facebook was the medium here, volunteering at the Boys and Girls Club, volunteering at the YMCA, volunteering for a business that was destroyed. If you're a businessman, help them with their business plan. If you have a carpentry skill, help them rebuild. If you can paint, help them paint. If you can plumb, help them plumb. If you're a musician, go down there and say, has your restaurant ever had live music? I'd like to play for you every other Friday. Whatever your Philip skill is, your Ina could be a business or a young person, you have to play your now more than ever. Last point as I am getting ready to close. Some of you will get that tomorrow. Some of you will get that tomorrow. I'm getting ready to close, but I am going to take my time. And I am going to say it like I feel it this morning. Some of you will get all of that tomorrow. Point number three, remember where we've been. We're amplifying the supernatural moment of unity. Remember origin, originally, humans were created race and ethnically agnostic, remembering the Genesis and the Adam and Eve principle. We were designed to be interdependent, not dependent, the Philip and Enoch story. And the actions of a few, point three, perhaps the most important point in where I wanna land today. And I am going to take my time, Araceli, thank you. I am going to take all of my time, Renata, thank you. The actions of a few should not color your judgment of the masses. I'm gonna stay on this one for a second. The actions of a few should not color your judgment of the masses. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verses one through six, says the following. Judge not that you be not judged, for with judgment you pronounce you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be used to you. This is powerful. Verse three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Let me stay on that. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Verse four, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You are a hypocrite because you cannot see well if you have a log in your own eye how to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You must remove yours first to then clearly be able to help extract his. Do not let the actions of a few color your judgment of the masses. Watching massive demonstration against police. I hope that we are able to use our judgment and wisdom well. That the actions of a small percentage of those that wear the badge 
should not color our judgment of the majority that wear the badge. I'm gonna say it again. No question the actions of a few rightfully should be called as such, but the actions of a few should not color our judgment of all in mass. That is not good judgment. That is a lack of good judgment. And on the same token, the actions of a few protesters should not color our judgment of the majority of protesters who are protesting within their right and constitutional right to do so peacefully. Do not allow the judgment of a few on either side of the spectrum to color your judgment of them in mass. That is not good sound judgment. We should have good sound judgment, particularly at such a time as this. Last point, invitation for challenge. Find someone that has a different point of view than you in a trusted circle and have a conversation of conviction and admittance that you have incorrectly judged somebody. The admittance of a wrong judgment is how you begin to be able to have the platform to make right and sound judgments. But in order to do so, you must admit that you have made a wrong judgment in order to make sound decisions on how to now make the correct judgment in the future. I close by saying to all of my friends that are on this line, I am taking my practice now to practice what I preach with the last comments I make before I yield back to Pastor Sanders. To suggest that you that about 15 feet from now, my closet is full of clothes and it is separated into three sections, friends. 60% of my closet is made up of the type of attire that I'm working in now for you. Sports coats, suits, ties, and the like. We call that professional wear and professional attire. 30% of my closet is made up of casual wear, sweaters, polo shirts, jeans, khakis, casual wear. And 10% of my closet is made up of athletic sportswear, shorts, t-shirts, tank tops, sweatsuits. 60% of my wardrobe is comprised of attire that makes me look like this. And when I go and buy a suit, friends, I wear a suit usually to go buy a suit, and I'm treated extraordinarily well when I go and buy a suit when I'm wearing a suit. However, if I happen to be traveling, I like to travel in my sweatsuit and I may go and buy a suit for my business trip and I may wear the 10% of my wardrobe or my sweatsuit into the same department store that I wore my suit in to buy a suit in the week before. I'm treated great, Mr. J, good to see you. What are you looking for? What size, what length when I wear my suit to buy a suit? When I wear a sweatsuit, sometimes I either don't get service, I get poor service, or I am followed to see if I belong to have any service. What has changed, ladies and gentlemen? I ask you, 60% of my wardrobe says this is who I am. And yet, on the surface, you may suggest otherwise. The point remains in this story. If I don't tell you my truth about where I've been misjudged and how that may influence my misjudgment, I can't influence you and your good and right judgment in the same situations, whether you're the person shopping or the person who owns the store. 
The responsibility is on the individual person. What am I saying? This story, this movement, these three points are about the people making a different choice, not the popular. This is about the electorate making different choices, not the elector. This is about people being part of the process, not the process influencing the people. It has to be about you and me in the spirit of unity. We were designed to be interdependent, not dependent. We shouldn't let the actions of a few color the judgment of the masses. And we should remember most importantly that the original creation was that we were never to be taught first and foremost race and ethnic identity, but human composition identity under the auspice and image of God the creator who was inclusive of all man and all woman. Therefore, when I see wrong to you, it is effectively wrong on me. And when it is wrong on me, it should be wrong on you under the spirit of supernatural unity and amplification. In the next three to four weeks, the CNN, MSNBC, Fox News cameras will move on to a new story. The protesters will go on to something else. And if it was only a moment in time sparked by a supernatural pause that made you get involved, then when that pause is removed, so too will the movement. So it is incumbent upon those who understand it to be more than just a supernatural moment, but a supernatural invitation to the unification process under the spirit upon which God created us all, which was to be equal in his image and love for one another, to recognize it is the investment of Philip finding Enoch, the investment of the original creation of man and woman being race and gender agnostic on its original origin, and the ability to represent your clear ability to misjudge and now make more right judgment that is the catalyzing force that allows the movement to be more than just a passing moment. The invitation is very simple. Whether it's your first time, whether you believe all like I believe, I do believe you are very much 99% in desiring of the same things in this life as I am. And if that is true, then when you see wrong, you are wrong if you do not stand for what is right. That is a biblical principle that applies to all man and all woman. And if something that was shared by the communicator this morning resonates with you, don't make the commitment to me or the rock. Make the commitment to yourself to be on the right side of this supernatural unification moment that we have been presented in 2020. For when it's all said and done, you have two dashes on the stone, a date you were born and a date that you are transitioned. And the story will only remember what impact you had on people in between the two dashes. The number one way to make the deposit you want on that stone is when you see someone being wronged, you stand for it as you know it should be right. And that is the story that will be recorded when they ask the question, how did you do with the life that God gave you to live, to demonstrate the values that he created us all to respect? And if the word has resonated with you somewhere in your heart and spirit, you can silently 
show your appreciation for the word that flowed through the speaker, but do not give it to the speaker. With that, I wish you all a blessed Sunday and be a part of the movement beyond the moment and the supernatural unity principle that this moment has given us all to be a part of the story of the human condition being fair and right for all men and all women. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Ramsey J. Jr., um, a brilliant message. We will have that message on the podcast that you could go and listen to, you could copy it, you could share it, which you should. Um, it's all about people, all about God, all about the, the truth of our lives together and not the distractions, the symptoms. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. We are back. I hope you stayed tuned uh, during all those commercials. Noah's doing his best to keep me in his first experience trying to rein me in. It, uh, he's doing a pretty, pretty darn good job. And uh, I want to thank, again, Ramsey J. Jr., uh, for first of all, for inviting me in, um, inviting me online to the worship service and allowing me to be part of it. I want to thank him for his willingness to to be a vessel uh, of a message. I want to thank him for the book that he wrote that you, I'm I'm telling you, you must read. Empowering Dreamers to Become Achievers. Now, this is not a sales thing. I'm not telling you about this because I want Ramsey to, to, to make money on it. And I bet you he doesn't care. He's, a, he's been a Wall Street broker. He's a financier guy. He, he's, he's, he wrote this book as part of his mission, just like his message was part of his mission in life. Living Your Life Without Fear and Limitations is a great book, and I think, you know, it, it's something that should be read in every school system. Uh, teach us things that go way beyond learning, way beyond academics. The message, again, that you heard from, from Ramsey J. Jr. is one of people versus process and he and I were just texting back and forth a little bit during break and and you know it, it is it is easy it is easy to tear down it is easy to judge it is easy to categorize it is easy to go after the low-hanging fruit and the symptoms it is easy. You know, it's, it's very easy to make yourself feel better by getting a movie banned or tearing down a statue. Those are easy. Those are easy. And at the end of the day, what do we have? What do we have? More division, 
more anger and we haven't gotten to the root of what the problem is. Ramsey J. Jr. hit it on the head. We are all the same. Whether you want to believe that or not, we are all the same. The difference is external. And if you think about that, it's almost a joke to me that we judge another person by how they think or especially the color of their skin. That blows me away. It almost sounds like, is this real? And we have the opportunity now a unique opportunity in a space and time that we live in to change, to change our hearts, to confess what we have done, the judgments we have made. And as he put it, to become a Philip or an Enoch, to reach out, to get to know, to risk rejection, to risk personal interaction. See, it's easy to tear down an an inanimate statue. It's easy to want names changed. And then you feel temporarily better. But it doesn't solve the problem. And all the distractions that are going on right now, All the things that are going on should all be peripheral. They're they're unimportant. They are unimportant because the main focus is that I have to be able to live on this planet interacting, interchangeable, dependent, interdependent with everyone. It's one thing this this show, doing this show for you and with you, has taught me over the years. You know, you you can talk about Muslims, but until you have a conversation with an imam, you don't really know that person. I see people out there beating up or looking at police officers who are dressed in all the same gear as if they were one in the same. And we forget that behind the helmets, behind everything, each one is an individual with their own goals, their own needs, their own desires, their own hearts, but we don't look at them that way. We judge the rioters, or we judge the protesters by the rioters. And we lump them together. And we can no longer afford to do that. It's just not good judgment, as Ramsey J. Jr. put it. And the distractions are not helping us. Calling for the destruction of the Washington Monument, Jefferson Memorial, all those things, those have nothing to do with the issue. And I think we all know that. No, would you? Was that something that I, I always wonder about age? All right, I'm, 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 I've gone through life. 
I'm, I don't know what you, I don't want to say elderly, but I'm older. I've lived through the 60s and all that stuff. How do you react to the message like Ramsey J. Jr. said? I mean, I think it, I think it kind of, like what you said, it kind of encompasses everything on what we're going through right now and kind of highlights on a lot of different ways we should approach the challenges that lie ahead. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, like, I think you pretty much said it all, personally. I don't, I don't know how much I could add to it. I think it's a good message. and um, It's the only message. Yeah. It is truly the only message. Yeah. We like to distract ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think a big issue surrounding the lack of progress that people are protesting about has been distraction, where, I mean, you can look at any instance. For example, here I'll give you an example. When Colin Kaepernick need for the national anthem, we got distracted as a people about what the meaning behind that was. And now some people, again, still to this day, don't you know, correlate what he was actually doing during that with what you know they have a different interpretation of what that was and it's just distractions it's it's miscommunications it's not being on the same page and then what happens although i don't think and i said this to a friend the other day now that you brought that up Mm -hmm. i went to a jackson brown concert Mm -hmm. i paid good money to go to jackson brown concert and i wanted to see jackson brown For two hours, it was an hour of songs and an hour of political ranting. Now, that was not the place. I didn't pay to hear political ranting. Mm -hmm. I paid to hear his songs. If he wants to say, hey, I'll meet you people outside afterwards and I'll politically rant, but right now I'm going to play music. There's also a part of me that says. That's why it's effective. What do you mean? I think that. I don't think it's effective. Okay. I think it turns people off. And so I'm. there's also a part of me that says athletes are entertainers. Mm-hmm. Get involved strongly. You have a press conference strongly come down on that go out and make a change but while you're in that arena that people are paying you to do one thing you should do that thing now i'm open to it i'm i'm not saying but here's the other part here's what happens to people then they start name calling yeah they start distracting from the real issue and they start boxing that person in and labeling that person, Colin Kaepernick, mm-hmm. and and then you distract, again, you go down another alley that is a dead end. My, my I guess my counterpoint to what you said, and I agree with a lot of what you said, uh, would be people aren't paying to watch pro athletes stand for the national anthem they're playing to watch them participate in their sport and if his protest was during the middle of a play or during the middle of a game 
if if LeBron tore off his jersey while on a fast break and had his I can't breathe shirt on during that, that's one thing. But the, for the people complaining about entertainment, were your instance for the two hours that you paid to see a musical act, half of that time where you were paying to see music became a a, a message. And I could see where people would be frustrated frustrated there. But no one came in saying, you know, to that preseason game where he first took a kneel, I believe it was in week two of the NFL preseason, and we're thinking, I can't wait to watch Colin Kaepernick stand for the national anthem. They came there to watch him play football, which he did, which that's, he did. That's a brilliant point. From a young man, that's a brilliant point. And I, and I, shouldn't, even, I shouldn't even label that because it's a young man. I agree with what you just said. You have you have um, you that that makes a lot of sense, and it's, I appreciate. And it's a it's a one minute thing, you know, or it, it's you know when the basketball players wear the I can't breathe shirts or whatever's going to happen when the NBA and the NHL and all these other sports return because th- that's you're going to see a lot more of it now. Right. It's not in the middle of the game, so the fact that he took a knee. You know, it might have ruffled your feathers and it might have took away your... You might have been in a bad mood when the game started, but him kneeling did not affect the quality of football that was being played. And if there's a protest going on, like I said, if if he just decides... If a quarterback just decides to take a knee on second down and 10, that's different. You know, now you're affect, now Now you are not doing your job. I hear you. But... He's not paid to stand for the national anthem. I get that that was, you know, part of the whole thing is, you know, you, it's like a tradition or whatever. But his job is to play football, and he he did play four quarters of football every single game to which he kneeled beforehand. Good point. I have nothing to add to that. Great point. Thank you, Noah. You're welcome. Let's take a break. Now back to the week that was with Joe Palmisano. We are back. Um, Noah's on the phone. I don't. What do you want me to do? Take that? You can. I can. Yeah. <laughs> I think he hung up. Oh yeah, she did. Oh okay. Oh, here, or she. That's all right. Don't worry about it. Well, do you want to know what they said? Yes, please. Okay, so uh, it, it was a woman. Uh, she she respectfully told me that. Uh, my comment saying he is not being paid to stand for the national anthem. And she said that someone paid for his ability to protest, like paid with their life, essentially. It's like military. Point. And it is a good point. And that and that's and I and I don't disagree. I mean, I have numerous family members in the military. My uncle Pete, who I'm incredibly close with, served two tours in Iraq, and both were during you know this, his the first ten years of his son's life. So I appreciate everything that the armed forces do. Uh, but my my argument was the the anger about him protesting at work. His job is to be a football player, and he did everything in his job title. That's all I was simply saying. And and, and you have to. At the same time, we have to be aware that there are going to be people who feel strongly the opposite yeah. way. And, and, and the, the thing that has to happen in our country is that you don't need to be on the defensive for your opinion on that. The lady who called shouldn't be defensive and make excuses 
for her opinion on that. The one thing we cannot do is develop animosity and start name-calling, which is what we do. Yeah, and and to her defense, she didn't. She was very respectful on how she brought about her point. And, and, you know, and like I said, there's... I can't think of one thing that every single person in the world agrees on. Yeah. Can you? No. Exactly. So, I mean, there's going to be, you know, different points of view and everything. And I was just speaking from a very technical standpoint. No, I, yeah. and it's your opinion. Yeah. It's your view. And you know what? It's a, I feel like I'm echoing. Is that just me? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, anyway, I, I, uh, I like the, your opinion, and you, you, and I'm one who kind of leans where the caller was, and I also lean towards, like I said, that that's not the time and the place. However, the point you made was very well thought out, and it does make sense to me. Um. And and now I'm a little bit more open. I'm going to take one more phone call. Do we have time? Yeah. This person's been holding, and I don't know who it is. Your name, please. Ron. Hi, Ron. What's up? Hey, listen. I uh, I agree that uh, to a point that people ought to be allowed to do what they what they want to do to to a point as long as it's not disruptive or legal. Yeah. But the the thing that I ask is, what else would a player be allowed to do on the sidelines. I mean, if it's not kneeling, what else would he be allowed to do? It's a good point. In, in protest, could yeah. he could he take off his shirt? Uh, could he uh, could he? Well, I mean, what else could he do? Could, could he do something that was really as long as he's not playing before the game and during the national anthem? And and I ask, you know, how how does that promote? I mean, we're all we're all Americans. And, um, and we all have something we disagree with, although the racial injustice, especially that has happened to those uh, black people that have have died unnecessarily, is is one is some of the greatest uh, egregious acts yes. of our nation by those few policemen or whoever they were that took those lives. They don't represent all policemen, but all of us have something that we disagree with. Uh, and so if we all just did whatever we wanted during the national anthem, then it would be a total disruption. Yeah. I mean, I just think that there's a, there's a certain decorum that you, a certain stance that you take when you're on the field. It's respect to the flag. You can, you can disagree another way, and I think it is a distraction. You don't have to sing the national anthem. The guys don't put their hands on their heart. That's, you know, just stand, at a t- just stand there and wait. And there's other ways to vent. There's other ways, like you said, a press conference or, or a speech paid for a speech I, on television or something. I get it, Ron. And, and, and thank you for that. I, I, want to, um, I want to go back to my original premise at the beginning of the show and throughout the show. Every action that we do, we have to ask ourselves, is this getting close is this helping us get closer to a solution? Or is it a distraction? We have to put these in categories. Is this helping 
or is it a distraction? If it's a distraction and it's not guiding us to the cure for this, then it shouldn't be done. And I think we have to look at things that way. And I appreciate the call. I think he's gone. I'm I'm terrible with these phones. I did it. I did it. All right. We'll be right back after this. Now back to the week that was with Joe Palmisano. What in the world is that? That would be Sean Kingston. Well, I like it now, but when it started out, I thought it was skipping and everything. I'm. It still is. Well, that's the beat. But it's skipping. Here, you want to? We'll keep it playing for a second. The drums kick in here. It's really good. Still sounds like it's skipping. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm not, uh, not hurting my feelings. You know, we're we're we we're talking about. Um, distractions we've talked about that all day banning everything disinfecting our history as noah read from 1984 and george orwell a distraction they distraction they become a line in the sand and completely distract us from the real issues ask yourself does banning Gone with the Wind change one person's heart? Does banning the Confederate flag... Now, I personally don't think there's a place for the Confederate flag. I agree with that. But does that stop racism by banning it? Like the coronavirus, you can sanitize everything to make yourself feel safer. And yet the disease still spreads. What a waste of time. Busy work thinking of new ways to sanitize because it's easier than having to look deeply into our own hearts. And after they are all gone, after we've removed every statue, after we've torn down everything, after we've eliminated any vestige of our history. We just will no longer teach our country's history, warts and all. We won't teach it. No one discovered us. We just showed up. There were no people here. There were no struggles with indigenous people. There were no wars, only capitalistic campaigns to conquer other nations. And after every vestige of the Civil War is gone, Are we going to ignore that it ever happened? Are we going to eliminate Harriet Tubman, John Brown, Robert Smalls? How do you explain them without telling the whole story? And what about the life of Martin Luther King? I said this earlier. How do you tell his deep story without first discovering, discussing slavery, Jim Crow, the Confederate States, and their separate flag. Like each of our lives, there are many parts that make us who we are this day, today. There are good things, there are many bad things. 
many that we are ashamed of personally and would like to eliminate, but we cannot. And in reality, they are often and often have greater effect on who we are today than the good things. If by some magical way we can eliminate them, we could find only half of our story, and we would not be who we are. We would be halfway. We would be not who we are today. And the same thing is true for our country. Sanitizing our country is to deny how we got to this point. Those who forget history, the good and the bad, are destined to repeat it. Those who forget history are destined to repeat it. So while we are jumping from one sanitation job to the next, what really changes? Our hearts changed? No. In fact, each side digs in a bigger line in the sand. We need all our energy today, folks, centered on healing hearts, individually making a difference instead of the insanity of trying to figure out what to eliminate and how to protest effectively and what symbolic image we need to put on Facebook. Five years from now when we are sanitized, if we are sanitized, if it continues to go, and all remnants of our history are gone, we will find that we still hate each other even more. We may no longer know why, but our hearts and souls will have not changed. Still people will kill people in Chicago, New York, L.A. Police will become so neutered that no one will be able to stop the carnage. You know, I thought this week, and this is interesting, the thing that was going on in, what's going on in Seattle, remind me of the movie Escape from L.A. and Escape from New York. It reminded me of that. Where are you, Snake Plissken? Do you know who that is? <laughs> I didn't think you are. I was going to say it reminded me of Lord of the Flies. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. I, I think it, it, it you know, it, and I guess I have to ask this too. Have you, is, is, does anyone know if Cracker Barrel's going to change its name? Jeez, oh man. <laughs> it should. Who's on the phone? We have uh, Mark in East Sparta. All right. Mark, what's up? Mark. Sir, uh, first time calling in. Yes. But, uh, man, great show this morning. Appreciate your comment. Uh, you've been right on point. Uh, a couple things that come to mind with this uh, history issue, uh, What's the expression uh, that those that don't learn from their mistakes in history uh, are destined to repeat them? Yes. And uh, that, is, that is just really something that uh, we need to remember and, and our, our children need to be aware of. Uh, history is a vital part of our, our, uh, our, our culture and society. We need that. And the other point is that with all this that's going on, it's causing division in the country. And we also know the expression that uh, you divide and conquer. And 
gosh, I'd like to see some unity come out of this, but uh, there's just so much division right now. We got to be careful of that. Well, we have to. We have to stop it, Mark. We have to. We have to personally say enough is enough. I'm not going to allow these few to cloud my personal feelings for others of different color, of different religions, of different occupations, of different parties. Amen, Amen to that, Joe. Yeah, so um, so that's the only thing we can do, and that's and that's what the message I think Ramsey I know Ramsey J Jr. was saying. Oh, that was great. Uh, he's he's a he's an amazing young man, but but somehow we have to get together and tell all these people that are hijacking this opportunity for unity. We have to unify together, blacks, whites, everybody, and say, stop, enough is enough. We are no longer going to allow you to divide us. Yeah, you're right. And uh, a great example of that was the comments that Drew Brees made uh, in respect to the flag and how he was called out on that. And I thought, wait a minute, he's got rights too uh, to express himself and to certainly show his uh, patriotism and, and yeah. love of the flag. Yeah, we have a we have a we have a tendency, not a tendency. We have a a great affinity in this country to when someone when we don't agree with someone that we attack them personally. And that is that is something that I cannot believe. I mean, even people that are on the left that may say something that isn't as far left as others, or people who are on the right who aren't as far right as others, you make a comment, and the people within your same supposed category attack you. Well, you see that in life, Joe. You have a comment or an opinion on something, and all of a sudden you find out that, whoa, uh, maybe I shouldn't have spoke, but it happens. But uh, here again, it gets back to a matter of love—love love for your brother and uh, sister, and uh, no matter where their ethnic background or, or race is. But uh, we have to—we have to work on that, and develop that. And, uh, I think you're always going to have uh, these issues of race. We, we can't. We can't. We have to stop. It's just skin color. That's it's right. Just skin color. That's right. And we have to stop it. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you, Joe, for your time, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Uh, We have to take a break? All right. Let's take a break then, Noah. You're in charge. You have the controls. Now back to The Week That Was with Joe Palmisano. I feel like... um, I, I don't know why this seems so clear in my head, but it seems so far away from reality. You brought up a great point, Noah, during break. And I, I want you to to say it for the people, for the listeners, because I thought it was a great point about fandom. Okay, um, so basically... The way I view a lot of problems in our world today is because our society 
encourages fandom. And the way I grew up, yeah, everything's a game or not necessarily even a game, but just something to root for. Every you have to have a side on everything. Where I grew up in Pittsburgh, so I'm a Steelers fan. And I say that in this area of Ohio, and I immediately, as soon as I say that, some of the people just went, <gasps> ugh, like, ugh, got to turn off the radio now. No, and I hope you don't. But my point is that that used to just be for sports, or that used to just be for music, or whatever else. But now, everything is fandom. Pol- politics has become fandom. Like, I-, I was pointing out, and it's not just with this current president but presidents prior to him you see people wearing trump shirts and now it makes sense because there's an election coming up they're trying to campaign for a politician that they want to get reelected. but when you're wearing a trump shirt in 2017 and 2018 what's the purpose behind it you're 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 not celebrating a victory you're not you're not campaigning for him it to me it looks like you're just a fan and I didn't think you were. Sp- you can support a politician, but I don't. I don't know why everyone feels it's like there's fans of a news organization. There's fans of politicians. There's fans of every aspect of society now. There's fans of media outlets. There's fans of restaurants. There's fans of all this. And the difference between a fan and a supporter is when you're a fan, there's an opposition. There's an enemy, and that automatically leads to division. Where, like I said, I'm a Steelers fan, so. All the Steelers fans hearing that, they're like, I like Noah. I knew I liked Noah. He's a Steelers fan. But all the Browns fans listening are saying, I knew I didn't like that kid. And so that's kind of how politics and every other realm of the world, you know, views on social stances. It's no longer an opinion. It's no, no, it's no longer a method of thinking that you can support or subscribe to. It's I'm a fan of the Second Amendment. I'm a fan of this and that. Just different things. And you're either a fan of it or you're against it. And it's turned into a huge divided country because of fandom and the way our society pretty much embraces you to be all in on something. That's a great point. And and really, for me, that brings more meaning to what what Ramsey J. had to say, what Ramsey J. Jr. had to say. Because unless we have a spiritual base. It is hard to get beyond that. If if everything in your view of life is temporary, is now, is gratification, is winning, um, if that is your view, then you're naturally going to have, I've got to get mine. And the, there's a feeling of uh, the principle of scarcity. If you have, I can't have. So I must take yours or I must tear down what you have in order for me to get it. When the reality is there's an opportunity for everyone to have that. That's what, that's what our society is about, but we've lost that. And, and the, on the other side of the coin, I have it, so I'm going to hoard it instead of giving it away and using it to help. This is where we become. And it becomes a spiritual thing where you have to look at each other and say, when, when we do the Zoom thing with my teammates, and I commented to them about this, we were on the Zoom two hours. We've got people from Florida, 
We've got people from California. We've got people from all different walks of life, all different colors, just completely mixed in every way possible. And never once in that two hours did I see color, did I see politics, and it wasn't important to any of us. It was about the love that we share for each other. And I said to the group, I said, I wish we could bottle this. I wish that everybody could understand what it's like to really feel a love for people deep down. Like I love Ramsey J. Jr. as if I were his uncle. And it has nothing to do with anything other than the fact that I I have a soul connection to him. And and that's what it's really boils down to, Noah, is is that we don't look at things we look at things selfishly now. And we don't look things spiritually. Um and we have to get back to that. And it's gonna be one person at a time. It's gonna be you going out and being a Enoch or a Philip. A Philip in this case. It's going to be me going out and becoming a Philip. It's going to be the Enoch being willing to be. It's two people coming together. And it has to be one at a time to the point where then we crowd out everybody who's on the extreme and wants to separate us. But it also has to start with our politicians who get elected by dividing us and separating us and dividing the issues and the media who 24 who fills 24 hours trying to separate us um, we have to think individually we have to stop and and I would suggest again I uh, social media it has been the best thing in my life getting off of it I don't want anything to do with it. I want to thank you, Noah, for being here, uh, for doing this, for the input you've brought. I want to thank Ramsey J. Jr. so much, and I love him for everything that he stands for in his message. And I want to thank you for tuning in. Have a great week, everybody.